Section 56 of Mysteries of London, Volume 4. This is a LibriOx recording. All LibriOx recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriOx.org. This is read by Brittany Rill. Mysteries of London, Volume 4, by George W. M. Reynolds, Laura and Rosalie. Yes, it was a great triumph for Laura Mortimer, a triumph all the greater inasmuch as she knew that the agitation and rage of her husband could not speedily pass away, and that when his friends had leisure to observe his emotions and seek an explanation, he would not dare to afford them any. She had, moreover, made statements to the young Castel C. Calan, which he would doubtless repeat to Charles Hatfield, whom they were well calculated to mystify relative to her future proceedings. For the reader scarcely requires to be told that she had not the slightest intention to repair Vienna, nor to visit Italy. In every respect, she had ample reason to be well satisfied with the results of the scheme she had devised in the morning, and so effectively carried out in the afternoon a scheme so wild and having so many chances against its success that none save the intrepid, resolute, far-seeing Laura could have possibly hoped to conduct to a triumphant issue. Having proceeded to the end of the avenue, she ordered the coachman to retrace his way and return home, but she was not destined to reach the Rue Monthabor without experiencing another adventure, which may for the moment seem trivial but which was nevertheless destined to exercise no mean amount of influence upon her future career. As the carriage was emerging from Champs-Élysées, two gentlemen on horseback just entering the fashionable lounge were about to pass by, when one of them, recognizing Laura, suddenly pulled up and made her a low bow. She immediately ordered the carriage to stop, for it was her courteous and obliging friend, the professor of music, who had thus saluted her, and she was anxious to express to him the delight she had experienced from the perusal of the translations he had sent her the preceding evening. After the exchange of the usual complimentary remarks, the professor, turning towards his companion, said, My lord, permit me to introduce you to one of my fair pupils. My fairest pupil, I should rather observe, he added in a good-tempered manner. Miss Laura Mortimer, the Marquise of Delmore. Laura was startled for an instant at finding her music master in such an aristocratic society, and as she inclined gracefully acknowledgment of the nobleman's courteous salutation, she observed that his lordship was an elderly, if not actually an old man, but that his countenance was far from disagreeable. A brief conversation ensued, and although the Marquise had no opportunity of speaking more than a dozen words, and even those on common topic, Laura nevertheless saw enough of him to be convinced that his manners were of polished elegance and that his disposition was frank and unassuming. It was not, therefore, without emotions of secret pleasure that she heard herself thus addressed by the professor of music. Miss Mortimer, his lordship and myself are old acquaintances, and he permits me to call him my friend. His lordship will honor my humble abode with his presence tomorrow evening. There will be a musical soiree of the same unpretending kind that which you yourself graced with your company the evening before last. My wife will doubtless send you a formal card, but may I, in a less ceremonial fashion, solicit you to favor us with your presence? Laura signified the pleasure that she would experience in accepting the invitation, and all the time she was listening to the professor and replying to him, she had the agreeable consciousness that the Marquise was gazing upon her with an admiration which he could not repress. 
She, however, affected not to be in the slightest degree aware that she was undergoing such an impassioned survey. And when she turned towards his lordship to make the parting bow, it was with the formal reserve and yet graceful dignity of a lady with whom a stranger has only just been introduced. The carriage rolled on in one direction, the horsemen pulled their way in another, and while the Marquis of Delmore was putting innumerable questions to his friend relative to the houri who they'd thus met, Laura was on her side resolving that Rosalie should, without delay, institute all possible inquiries respecting of the position, fortune, and character of that nobleman. We should here remind the reader that the professor of music was a man eminent in his special sphere, of high respectability and great moral worth. And moreover, he was a native of a country where talent is prized and looked up to, instead of being merely tolerated and looked down upon. It is not, therefore, extraordinary if we find him moving in the best society and having his entertainments attended by the elite of the residents or visitors in the gay city of Paris. On her return home to the splendid apartments in the Rue Montebourg, Laura was immediately waited upon by her lady's maid, and while the mistress was changing her attire in preparation for dinner, the dependent explained the means by which she had induced Charles Hatfield and the two Italian officers in the suite of the Grand Duke to repair to the Champs Elysee in company at the hour specified by Laura. "'When you first mentioned your desire to me this morning, mademoiselle,' began Rosalie, "'I must confess that I was somewhat embarrassed how to accomplish the scheme, although I did not despair. When I saw the paragraph in the paper, and ascertained the hotel at which the Grand Duke and his suite had taken up their temporary abode, I suddenly remembered that a day or two ago I met a young woman who had formerly been my fellow-servant.' and that she was now filling a situation in that very hotel. The circumstance inspired me with a hope of success, and we Frenchwomen look upon an intrigue as being good as carried out successfully, when it affords a hope to encourage us. Therefore, I did promise you so confidently, and I lost no time in proceeding to the hotel. I soon found my friend, who is a chambermaid there, and I told her just sufficient, without however mentioning your name or even alluding to you, mademoiselle, to induce her to afford me her assistance. Some of the officers of the Grand Duke suite were lounging in the courtyard of the hotel at the time, and my friend pointed them out to me one by one, naming each as she proceeded. I resolved to choose the two youngest and handsomest to be Mr. Charles Hatfield's companions, mademoiselle, because, continued Rosalie with an arch smile, I tolerably well understood the entire nature of the project which you had in contemplation. "'You are marvelously sharp-witted and keen-sighted, Rosalie,' said Laura, laughing good-humorously. "'But pray proceed. What step did you adopt next, after having thus passed the Grand Duke suite, in review of which they were, however, unconscious?' "'I must confess, mademoiselle,' resumed Rosalie, "'that I was somewhat puzzled how to act. But suddenly an idea struck me, and, however ridiculous the plan may now appear to you, your own lips can proclaim whether it succeeded or not. In fact, I calculated upon the romantic disposition which the Italians are known to possess, and I also reflected that Mr. Charles Hatfield, whom I likewise saw at the hotel, though he not saw me, appeared pensive and thoughtful. He would embark in any adventure that promised to wean his thoughts from their melancholy mood, and that offered some excitement of novel character. I accordingly penned a note addressed to Mr. Charles Hatfield, Captain Barthelma, and Lieutenant de Ponta. 
What was the name of the taller and handsomer of the two officers who accompanied Charles? asked Laura, with a slight kindling of sensual feeling as she recalled to mind the pleasing features of the Italian who picked up her parasol, and with whom she had exchanged the few complimentary observations already recorded. That one is Captain Barthelma, answered Rosalie. Proceed, said Laura. You were telling me that you penned a note? To the three gentlemen collectively, added the lady's maid. And, as nearly as I can remember, the contents ran thus. To Mr. Charles Hatfield, Captain Barthelma, and Lieutenant de Ponta, an unhappy Spanish refugee ventures to address himself, having certain excellent reasons for being well aware that they will not refuse to listen to his sad tale and interest themselves in his behalf. But, as he is an object of suspicion to the French government, he dares not to make his appearance at the hotel where a prince, who is known to be the redresser of wrongs, has taken up his abode. He will, therefore, walk this afternoon from four to five on the right hand of the central avenue of Champs-Élysées, and, if the three gentlemen to whom he now addressed his humble but earnest application will be at the place and time appointed, the unhappy writer of this petition will make himself known to them, and will explain his business frankly, and will indicate the means by which he can restore to wealth and happiness. Those means consist in one word which will be for his sovereign highness, the Grand Duke, to speak, and which can only be spoken at the instigation of the three gentlemen to whom this letter is addressed. "'Upon my word, I give you credit for your stratagem,' exclaimed Rosalie, laughing heartily. "'I have no doubt that Charles sees through it now, but he would not dare to give any explanations to his friends,' she added in a musing tone. "'They will imagine that they have been duped by a humorous person, and he will affect to fall into the same way of thinking.' or else the two Italian gentlemen will suppose that the poor refugee was prevented by some misadventure from keeping the appointment, observed Rosalie, now giving way to her mirth to such a degree that tears came into her eyes. Well, make an end of your story, said Laura, who had nearly completed her toilette, for although she expected no one that evening, she nevertheless made it a rule to dress herself with the utmost care in case of a visit on the part of any of those persons whose acquaintances she had recently formed. "'I have little more to tell you, mademoiselle,' responded Rosalie. My friend, the chambermaid, left the note, which was duly sealed and properly addressed to the three gentlemen, upon the table of Captain Barthelma's private apartment. And soon afterwards, that officer went into his room. I waited at the hotel in hope of ascertaining the effect that the billet would produce.' and in a short time the captain returned in haste to his companions, who were still lounging in the courtyard, some of them giving direction to their grooms and others smoking cigars. From the window of my friend's chamber I beheld Captain Barthelma draw Mr. Charles Hatfield and Lieutenant de Ponta aside and show them the letter. They evidently pursued it with great attention, and I felt assured by their manner that they treated the affair seriously. I now requested my friend to hurry downstairs and traverse the yard, as if in pursuance of her avocations, but to pass as near to the little group as possible, and endeavor to catch any remarks they might be exchanging at that moment. This she did, and she heard quite enough to convince her that the appointment would be kept. I then retraced my way homeward, and was happy in being able to give you the assurance, mademoiselle, 
that your wishes would be fully gratified so far as the result depended upon me. You are a good girl, Rosalie, said Laura, and I shall not be unmindful of the service you have thus rendered me. But now I require your aid in another matter. Speak, my dear lady, I am entirely at your disposal, observed the dependent, who, in proportion as she obtained a further insight into the character of her mistress, felt the more certain of the reaping a fine harvest of rewards, bribes, and hush money. There is in Paris, at this moment, an English nobleman concerning who I am desirous that you should obtain as much information as you can possibly glean without creating any suspicion or in any way compromising me. I allude to the Marquis of Delmore, continued Laura, but I know not where he is residing, nor can I offer the least suggestion to guide you in instituting your inquiries. Leave all that to me, mademoiselle, said Rosalie. There is no time to be lost, observed Laura. This evening, or in the course of tomorrow, I must have this information which I seek." "'I am not in the habit of letting the grass grow beneath my feet,' replied the French dependent with an arch smile. "'The moment you have sat down to dinner, mademoiselle, I will sally forth, and I shall not return until a somewhat late hour.' "'No matter,' interrupted Laura. "'I shall know that you are employed in my interests. Unless, indeed,' she added, laughing, "'you possess a lover whose company may prove more agreeable to you than the task which I have entrusted you.' "'I have no lover in Paris, at present, mademoiselle,' observed Rosalie. "'Then you admit that you have had a lover in your lifetime?' asked Laura. "'Oh, certainly, mademoiselle,' exclaimed the pretty Frenchwoman. "'And, to speak candidly, I could not without some trouble reckon the number of those who have proclaimed themselves my admirers.' "'The name of your lovers is Legion, then?' cried Laura, again laughing." but it was the natural sensuality of her disposition which impelled her to thus interrogate her servant. For a licentious woman experiences a voluptuous enjoyment in learning that another is admirously inclined or as downright abandoned as herself. And now that Laura's spite against Charles Hatfield was for the time appeased, she had leisure to ponder upon the handsome countenance and elegant figure of Captain Barthelma. Her imagination was becoming inflamed, and wanton ideas and aspiration rose up in her brain. "'Oh, mademoiselle!' exclaimed Rosalie, with an archness of expression that made her countenance particularly interesting at the moment. "'You must think me very vain and very silly for having made the remark which fell so inconsiderably from my lips.' "'Not at all,' observed Laura. "'You are pretty enough to have captivated many hearts. And now tell me, my dear girl,' Have you passed through such an ordeal without leaving your virtue behind? Be frank and candid. I wish to know you thoroughly, that I may determine how far I can trust you. I dare say, mademoiselle, that you can form a tolerably accurate guess in that respect, said Rosalie, in a low tone with a blushing countenance. Were I to tell you that I am pure and chaste, you would not believe me, mademoiselle, and, and you would be right. Suppose, then that you had suddenly conceived a great fancy from a very handsome young man, Rosalie, said Laura, her bosom heaving voluptuously as she gradually approached the aim and object of the present conversation. I should take great care to let him perceive that if he chose to solicit, it would not be in vain, answered Rosalie, who already comprehended that her mistress was not giving the discourse this turn without some definite end in view. 
and you would be deeply grateful, continued Laura, in a low but significant tone, to any friend who might assist you in the management of intrigue. Decidedly, mademoiselle, replied the Frenchwoman, the more so that I myself should delight in rendering my aid when and where the services so humble of being as I am could prove available. Those services may be made available this very evening, said Laura, a voluptuous glow spreading over her fine countenance, while her eyes became soft and melting in expression. You must aid me, Rosalie, in gratifying an ardent longing which has sprung up within my bosom during the last few minutes, and which I may vainly struggle to subdue, but the intrigue requires so much delicate management. I can anticipate all that you would say, mademoiselle, interrupted Rosalie, then, in a significant tone, added, Captain Barthelma is decidedly one of the handsomest men I have ever saw in my life. You have conjectured rightly, said Laura. You have penetrated my thoughts. Can you, will you, serve me in the gratification of this caprice of mine? But remember, I must not be compromised in respect to a living soul save Barthelma and yourself. You know, mademoiselle, that you can trust my fidelity, sagacity, and my prudence, said Rosalie. At what hour shall the handsome Italian visit you? At nine, this evening, answered Laura. Then, referring to her watch, she added, It is already six, and you have plenty of work upon your hands. I will neglect nothing, observed the lady's maid in a tone of confidence. Would it not be prudent to send the cook out of the way this evening? For as the man-servants are on board wages and sleep elsewhere, and the cook is therefore the only dependent who could possibly observe your proceedings, mademoiselle. I leave this to you, Rosalie, interrupted Laura. And now that we have nothing more to say to each other for the present, order the dinner to be served up at once, and then you must hasten to fulfill the commissions with which you are charged. Having thus given her parting instruction, Laura repaired to the dining room, where an elegant repast was steadily spread upon the table, and a glass of sparkling champagne soon enhanced the brilliancy of the voluptuous woman's eyes, and heightened the rich glow that suffused her countenance. When the meal was over, a choice dessert was served up, and Laura was now left alone. She was almost sorry that she had gone so far in respect to the intrigue which was to bring the handsome Castel C. Collin to her arms. She had admitted Rosalie too deeply into her confidence, placed herself too completely in the power of her dependent. Even while she was conversing with the wily Frenchwoman, she had perceived and felt all of this, but her sensuality triumphed over the prudence. Her levacious temperament carried her on with force which she could not resist, much less subdue. After all, she now reasoned with herself, wherefore should I not follow my incantations in this respect? I am free to act accordingly to the impulses of my passions and the prompting of my desires. The night that I have passed with Charles, that one night of love and bliss, has revived those ardent longings, those burning thoughts that demand gratification. Besides, Rosalie will be trustworthy so long as she is well paid, and I shall take care to keep her purse well filled. Sooner or later she must have obtained a complete insight into my character, and why not then at once as well as hereafter? And the more firmly I bend her to my interest, the less shall I need the services of my crafty, selfish old mother. Would that I could manage my affair and execute my plans without my parents' aid altogether, and who knows— 
but that even this consummation may be reached. Something tells me that the Marquise of Delmore and I shall yet be more intimately equated. He is old, but that is of little consequence. Wealth and a proud position are my aims, and I care not by what means they are acquired. Oh, the happiness of possessing such beauty as wherewithin I am endowed, a beauty which can never fail to crown me with triumph from all my schemes and all my projects. She now regarded her watch and discovered that it was eight o'clock. In another hour he will be here, she thought within herself, and her bosom heaved voluptuously. Yes, in another hour that handsome Italian will be in my presence. At least, if Rosalie fulfill her task with her wonted sagacity and prudence, what will he think of me? Oh, let him obtain any opinion that he may. I will bind him to secrecy by the most solemn oaths, and I read enough in his countenance to convince me that he is a man of honor. In the strain did the lovely but wanton creature pursue her reflections until it was nearly nine o'clock. Then she rose from her seat and repaired to the kitchen, which was on the same floor as her suite of apartments. The cook was not there, and Laura was consequently satisfied that Rosalie had not forgotten this precaution herself had suggested. The siren now proceeded to the drawing-room, where, with her own fair hand, she had arranged the wine, fruits, and cakes upon the table. She then drew the curtains over the window, lighted the wax candles upon the mantel, and scattered drops of delicious perfume upon the carpet and the drapery. Scarcely were these preparations completed, when the bell of the outer door of the suite rang, as if pulled by a somewhat impatient hand, and Laura hastened to answer the summons. She opened the door, and Captain Barthelma, the handsome Castelzi Calan, appeared upon the threshold. "'Is it possible that this can be true?' he exclaimed his joy amounting to a delirious excitement as his eyes fell upon the heroine of this afternoon adventures in the champs elysee laura smiled archly as she placed her finger upon her lips to impose silence at least until he should have entered her abode and having closed the door carefully she conducted him into the drawing-room end of section fifty six recording by brittany rill